Welcome again. It's uh, good to see everybody. There's more of you here than when I was up here before, and that's always a good thing. So uh, if you've got a Bible, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're doing a sermon series that we're simply calling Habits, and uh, you know we're talking about just habits, disciplines, choices to implement into our lives uh, to help us to live the life that God wants us to live. And today we're specifically going to talk about spiritual habits, and, you know, as we've talked earlier in the series, we reap what we sow. So the choices we make determine the outcome of our lives. We talked about last week uh, the importance of, of discipline and uh, taking the right kind of steps. But I think sometimes we kind of forget that a little bit when it comes to our spiritual lives. I, I think sometimes we act like that we just by osmosis or magic fairy dust or something like that, that we can become spiritually mature. And uh, we forget sometimes, I think, that just like anything else, that we grow spiritually and become mature spiritually, strong spiritually, not in a day, but daily. So think about it this way. Let's say we've we've had some different people at True Life do this, I think all the way up to a marathon, which just seems, well, when I think about a marathon, you know, the original story of where a marathon came from, a messenger delivered a message for 26 miles from the Battle of Marathon, and he died. That's what I think about when when I think marathon. But but let's say you're going to run a 5K sometime this spring. Are you, is your process for that going to be you just kind of wake up, roll out of bed, throw something on the day of the race, and you run the 5K? I hope not. Is it going to go well if you do? You're probably going to need to train. You're going to have to register for the race. You probably need some shoes and, and, and that kind of thing. Like, if you decide sometime like, like you'd like to join the band, you'd like to help lead and worship, but you can't sing or you don't play an instrument, I'm hoping you're not showing up one week after you've bought a guitar and like, hey, I'm here, uh, use me. I mean, we know that's not going to work, right? You're gonna, it's going to take time, it's going to take lessons, it's going to take a lot of practice, and maybe you'll learn how to play. I mean, think about your profession, whatever that may be. Uh, you know, it's going to take time to learn that. I mean, you know, you don't want a doctor operating on you who hasn't been to medical school, right? I hope not. Uh, And so we realize in life that it takes planning and preparation and diligence and effort uh, to grow into something or to be able to do something. But do we forget sometimes that it takes planning and preparation and diligence and effort to grow into godliness? It just doesn't magically happen. And, and the Bible tells us this. Let, let's look in 1 Timothy chapter 4. And I want to read a paragraph just for the context. But really, the focus of the message is on one phrase from this text today. And so, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 6, Paul, writing to his young protege in the, in the ministry, Timothy, who was pastoring the church at Ephesus and facing some difficulties and maybe it just his nature, he was a little bit timid, maybe wasn't quite as bold as he needed to be. And Paul's trying to instruct him, to challenge him, to encourage him in the fulfillment of his duties. And he says, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, 
nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables. And this is the phrase we're going to focus on, but exercise yourself towards godliness. And, And so he's saying, know and teach good doctrine that's continually emphasized in the New Testament. Stay away from old wives' tales, so to speak, false teaching. But then he says, exercise yourself toward godliness. And it's a command. And then he makes a comparison. He says, for bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Now, I don't think he's criticizing physical exercise. He uses it as an analogy multiple times in the New Testament. The, body, uh, the Bible tells us to treat our bodies as the temple of the Holy Spirit. So if you hate to exercise, I don't think this is like your proof text. Um, I think what he's saying here is I th- he's saying physical exercise is good. Spiritual exercise is better. He's not saying, you know, don't exercise your body. He's saying that's okay, but make sure you're getting your physical exercise. And he's using it as an analogy. You say, well, why is spiritual exercise better? Well, I think the contrast that he's painting here is that uh, physical exercise helps us temporarily. Spiritual exercise helps us eternally. Physical exercise uh, helps us in a limited way. Spiritual exercise helps us infinitely. And so it's not either or, I don't think, but he's using it as an example. He's obviously telling us here spiritual exercise. In fact, the word exercise there, the English uh, or the Greek, it's the Greek word that we get our English word gymnasium from. So he's almost like saying go to the spiritual gymnasium. Train yourself. You know, the key to physical health is diet and exercise. The key to spiritual health is diet and exercise. He's saying you need a diet of God's word. You need a diet of sound doctrine, but you also have to exercise yourself uh, toward uh, godliness. And then just to finish the section, he says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the savior of all men, especially of those who believe these things command and teach. And so exercise yourself toward godliness. Exercise yourself for the purpose of godliness. And so I want us to look at just quickly, and I'll put these on the screen, just some, uh, how some different translations or paraphrases uh, word this, just to kind of get this in our minds. Uh, keep yourself in training for a godly life. Exercise yourself toward godliness. That's the translation I'm using. Exercise daily in God. No spiritual flabbiness, please. Um, <laughs> Train yourself for godliness. Train yourself to be godly. Spend your time and energy in training yourself for spiritual fitness. Take the time and trouble to keep yourself spiritually fit. Exercise for the purpose of godliness. So so here's the the big idea that I want us to get today. And then uh, I want to show you some truths to try to help us practically apply this in our lives. But I think the main idea, what he's saying to us here, is that we're to discipline ourselves spiritually, in order to grow in godliness. Exercise yourself toward godliness. Discipline ourselves spiritually in order to grow 
in godliness. And so I, I want us to, to understand that it's a necessity. Now, let me just say a little bit about this before I get into these truths because I, I know how some people think when you say something like this. Some people think, well, that just seems so unspiritual. Like, aren't I just like supposed to, you know, want to pray and want to read my Bible and, you know, not just do it out of habit or, and I'm just like, if I go to church when I don't really feel like going to church, I mean, am I really worshiping the Lord? I mean, do I really have the right motive? And I'm just going to be honest with you and tell you that I know a lot of people think that way, but I don't think that's a wise way to think. Now, I know we can do things for the wrong motive to be seen of men. And so, you know, sometimes we need to address our motives. But to me, it's not unspiritual to do something when we don't want to do it simply because we ought to do it. That's actually one of the most spiritual things that we could ever do. I mean, we're not always going to feel like doing what we ought to do. But... I think, I mean, you may not feel like going to work tomorrow, but you ought to go to work. Your wife may say, honey, would you take the trash out? And you may say, I don't feel like it. And she may say, but you really ought to take the trash out. You may, you know, you may, I may say tomorrow after work be like, I don't really feel like going to the gym today but I still ought to go to the gym. But you're like, but if I don't feel like it, am I, you know, is it really honoring the Lord? Am I really going to get out of it what I need to get out of it? Well, if I go to the gym tomorrow, my feelings don't have anything to do with how many calories I burn. My feelings don't have anything to do with me keeping the habit my feelings don't have anything to do with, uh, you know, sometimes when I feel that way, I feel great once I start working out. Some days it's still a slog, but I've still worked out, and I'm glad I did afterwards almost all the time. I think the same thing is true spiritually. How can you spend time with God and it be a bad thing? I mean, there's a really good chance that once you start that you're going uh, to enjoy it then. There's a really good chance that maybe it's spiritual warfare. Satan's fighting you. He doesn't, he's not, he doesn't want you to feel like doing it. Uh, it there's a really good chance that, uh, you know, God's going to do something great in your life when you show up, you know, when you show up at church, you don't want to be at church. That's really usually when you most need to be uh, at, at church. Maturity is getting past just being controlled by our feelings. That's, that's part of maturity. Um, you know, if you like are praying, reading your Bible, worshiping, even if you didn't feel like it to start, to start with, you're still honoring God, giving him glory. You're still getting God's truth in your life. What could be bad about that? So he says to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Like, you know, sometimes in marriage, maybe couples get busy and kind of get disconnected and maybe, uh, you know, they just don't feel as much love as they did. You know, maybe they're both working, got kids, in school, different things. These things are crazy. They're not spending enough time together. Would you think it would be a bad thing or a wise thing if they said, okay, we got to change this. We got to schedule some time to be together. We got to schedule a date night. <laughs> I think that would be a wise thing, right? 
I mean, I, I hope you would think that. If, if not, maybe you need to work on your marriage. If uh, maybe that's the application for you. We, we need time together. Sometimes we've got to be intentional uh, about spending time together. Good marriages don't happen by accident either. But probably what's going to happen if a couple's in that situation and they just kind of need to reconnect, once they start disciplining the, the time, they're going to probably start enjoying one another again. And the, fan, the flames of their marriage are probably going to get fanned again. The same thing can happen to us spiritually. We can know the Lord. We can love the Lord. We can get caught up in life. We can get distracted. We can get too busy. We can kind of neglect our time with him. And maybe we don't feel the, the love that we felt. But sometimes when we don't have desire, we got to have discipline and you see, I think a lot of times we wait on discipline to have enough desire. I believe that, we, that desire grows out of disciplining ourselves. And as we make something a habit, then we start to want to do it more. And I think the same thing applies in our relationship with the Lord. So if any of that hits you and connects with you, maybe what you need to do today is just to make a decision to get with the Lord. And, and I would encourage you to pray something like this. God, give me desire. Help me to want to want you, but help me to function with discipline until I have the desire. Because you just can't magically, you know, just expect somehow it to all just work out by accident. Does that make sense? He says, exercise yourself for the purpose of godliness. We have to go into spiritual training just like we'd have to go into physical training to run a race. Now, like I said, I want to get real practical with this. So let me give you four truths that hopefully will help us, you know, to see this and, and see how to uh, apply it in, in our lives. And so the first one is this. The purpose of, of practicing spiritual disciplines is, is to grow to become like Jesus Christ. Now, I think this is important for us to understand because it's always important to understand the why behind the what. To, to, and to know like what the target we're aiming at and to know what the point of it is. And so I, I think sometimes people will turn spiritual disciplines into trying to earn salvation or to trying to earn favor with God, to get God to bless you, to get God to accept you, uh, you know, to look good to other people. Uh, sometimes we think, okay, if I'm praying, read my Bible every day and do whatever else, then that means I'm gonna be a good Christian. And so God's gonna bless uh, me. And can I tell you that that is not biblical Christianity. That is legalistic religion. Th that is not the point of this. Listen, reading the Bible in and of itself does not make you holy. Some of the meanest people I've ever met know the Bible inside and out. There's more to it than that. The end is not saying how much we read the Bible and pray. The end is knowing and being like Jesus Christ. These disciplines are simply a means to that end. You know, think about it. The creator of this universe wants to know us, wants to relate to us, wants to spend time with us. So much so that he came and sacrificed himself to make that possible. You know what's amazing? 
is God wants us a whole lot more than we want him when we don't deserve him to start with. That's grace. See, this is a relationship. It's not legalistic religion. There's nothing attractive about that. And so if like you're pushing back against that, keep pushing back, but just understand you're not pushing back against the real thing. You're pushing back against something you ought to push back against. The real thing is about Jesus and about knowing him. I mean, Romans 8, 29 says, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What's God's purpose for our lives? It's to make us like Jesus. And the crazy thing is, when we get to heaven and he glorifies us, that's actually gonna happen. I mean, we're gonna be that transformed. And that's a lot of transformation for me. And for some of you all too. So, I mean, but right now, that's, sanctification is us becoming more and more like Jesus. That's the point. Now, look back a few verses, and, and I want to show us this a little more clearly as, as we look in this passage we're in. Go back to chapter 3, verse 16, the, the last verse of that chapter. And it says this, it says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Now, what did our text say? Exercise yourself for godliness, toward godliness. Well, what's godliness? Isn't that a reasonable question? And remember, Scripture interprets Scripture. Scripture defines Scripture. What's godliness? He says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Now, this is really important. Here in East Tennessee, how do we often define godliness? There's like a list of things you don't do, and there's like a list of things you do, right? And like you, gotta, you do these certain religious exercises, and you go to church a lot, and you vote a certain way, and there's like a list of things of do's and don'ts is usually how godliness gets defined in East Tennessee. This is not the definition he gives of godliness. The definition he gives of godliness is God. It's Jesus. He's saying godliness is in a person. The essence of godliness is Jesus. The example of godliness is Jesus. The empowering for godliness is Jesus. Jesus is both the end and the means of our spiritual growth. It's all about him. And when you read into the beginning of chapter five or four, just to connect all of this together, notice what it says. It says, now the spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with the hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it, if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. What, what's he saying? He, he saying that godliness is not in conformity to outward man-made standards. It's not in legalism. It's not in asceticism. It's not in what you eat and what you don't eat. It's found in Jesus. It's an error to think it's in outward things. Does that make sense? Now, to me, 
this is just transforming because it, it was transforming for me because for a long time in my Christian walk, I was stuck in knowing, you know, you're saved by Jesus, by grace through faith. But then going back to the old covenant, thinking if I do this and I don't do this, then, uh, you know, God's going to accept me and God's going to be pleased with me. When the point of all this is I don't have to earn favor with God. I've already been given all of God's favor. I'm blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Jesus gave his all for me. It's finished. I'm right with God. I'm a child of God. There's no more condemnation. Uh, God has accepted me, so I'm not trying to earn God's acceptance or favor, but because God loves me and accepts me unconditionally because of all the things he's done for me, I can now have a relationship with him. I can now uh, spend time with him. I can now get to know him. I can now grow in him. Uh, and, And all of this is out of what he's done. It's not me trying to get something from him. It's radically different. And so that's even part of the reason why, you know, one of the messages in this thing about habits, which is on doing, was about identity. Who before do? Knowing who we are in Christ, that we're dead to sin, we're alive in him, and we're in union with him. He's in us, he's living through us. And then now this is just simply about getting to know him better. It's all about Jesus. Number two, The practice of spiritual disciplines is necessary because spiritual growth won't happen without them. Notice it's a command. It's not automatic. It's not accidental. It's intentional. It's it's not instantaneous. It's not like a one-time experience. It's ongoing. It's daily, not in a day. You can't get spiritual maturity out of a sermon or a conference or, you know, out of somebody praying over you or anointing you with something. I mean, that could be a part of it, but it's an ongoing, lifelong process of surrender and seeking and obeying and walking in the Spirit. And and we're going to fall and there's going to be ups and downs. And it, it may look like a roller coaster if we're trying it out. It's not always going to be up and to the right. But it's about progress. It's about growth. It's not about perfection. But if he commands us to exercise, to train, to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness, it must be a necessity. So think about this diet and exercise analogy. I mean, think about it a couple ways. So if you're going to get in shape and you want to work on your diet and your exercise, let's say, let's say you decide, hey, I'm going to go to the gym once a month and, uh, you know, I'm going to work out for four hours because that's like it a- averages out to like an hour a week. Are, are you going to get in shape or are you going to get hurt? <laughs> that's not going to work too well, is it? There's power and consistency. Remember what we talked about last week? Consistency compounds. It's daily not in a day. I mean, th- think about eating. I mean, it's a simple analogy. I've used it before, but I'm going to use Justin. He's like the best person in the world to use for this analogy. Um, so, Justin, like, what's your favorite food? Uh, well, we, we know this. Uh, I mean, uh, the reason I say he's like the best person for this now, I mean, Justin's pretty buff, but he can eat. I mean, is this true, Brandy? <laughs> So, like, what would be your favorite food, favorite restaurant, that kind of thing? The baked goods we had at Christmas. Nintendo's baked goods. Okay. So, so what if I took you there today after church and said, I'll buy you everything you can eat there today, 
on one condition. You can't eat again until next Sunday. You going to go for that? No good? <laughs> no good? Well, why not? <laughs> You'd be sick. Now, here, here's the point of that, though. Isn't that how some people live spiritually? Maybe they gorge themselves on Sunday, but they don't eat the rest of the week. Is that going to make you spiritually healthy? No, just like, I mean, if you, know, if you gorge yourself on Sunday physically, but then you don't eat again for another week, I mean, that's going to be terrible for your health, I think. I think you're going to be seeing Ed Philippone at the hospital pretty soon for him to try to take care of you. Um, it takes discipline. It takes consistency. You say, well, you don't know my life. You don't know everything I have going on, how busy I am. That, that may be true, but I really think we can find time for something if it's important enough for us. Let me give you an example. So there was a general in World War II named William Harrison who was one of the most um, decorated soldiers in, in, in World War II. Um, he... I mean, he was, he was a leader. He, was, uh, he actually won every medal that you could win other than a Congressional Medal of Honor, including a Purple Heart, which was kind of rare uh, for a general. He was the first American to enter Belgium during the war. He, he was so highly respected that uh, President Eisenhower tapped him to lead the negotiations during the Korean War. But so, I mean, you know, this is obviously like a, a man's man, super busy uh, kind of guy. But uh, General Harrison, when he was a cadet at West Point, when he was 20 years old, made a determination, he was a believer, he made a determination that he was going to read through the Old Testament once every year and the New Testament four times every year. And he kept that habit, that discipline, until his eyesight failed him and he, he couldn't read anymore at the age of 90. And at the age of 90, he had read the Old Testament 70 times and the New Testament 280 times, uh, as busy as he was uh, during his career. And, and what his associates said about him is, uh, you know, his life reflected this uh, because, as Billy Sunday said, usually someone who owns a Bible that's falling apart has a life that isn't falling apart. Uh, they said that in every area of his life, in domestic, spiritual, professional, that you know, he, he lived out scripture, that people went to him uh, for advice, and you know, the decisions he made were based on a mind that was saturated with the word of God. Now, are you saying I'm telling you to go read the New Testament four times every year? No. But could you pull it off once? Or could you start with a verse a day? Could you start with a chapter a day? When I started reading the Bible for myself when I was a teenager, that's where I started was with a chapter a day. Could you do a version Bible reading plan? Or if you'd rather listen, there's a Dwell app that you can listen to God's word. You just listen to it while you're driving to work. Could you get up five or 10 minutes earlier to start your day? I mean, if you say you wanna walk with the Lord during the day, how's that gonna work real well if you don't start the day with him? I mean, because let's be honest, once we get into it and things get crazy, that can be a little hard sometimes. Can you get up a little earlier? So you know how early I go to work. 
Um, you know, I, I had a job one time where I had to go to work real early. And, it, you know, even if it's just five or ten minutes just to get some scripture in your mind to give you something to meditate on. It just helps you with your coping with your day, I think, and people sometimes so much better. So it's necessary. But then let's move on to the third truth. And uh, let's be honest. We, we ask ourselves the question, if we're thinking about doing something, like what am I going to get out of it if I do this? Like what's the benefit? Now, I'm saying we ought to do this because it honors the Lord, but I still think that's a, a reasonable question of what am I going to get out of this? You know, we talked about uh, habits and how habits are developed, how habits are broken last week. And we talked about what goes into a habit is craving, or I'm sorry, cue craving, uh, response, and then a reward. So what's the reward going to be if you build this habit into uh, your life? Well, here's five or six things we see biblically just real quick. One, a personal knowledge of God. Hosea 4, 6 says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Two, personal growth. 2 Peter 3, 18 says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Three, it's the protection of God. Psalm 91, 1 says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That doesn't mean if you read your Bible, it's not like a verse, away, a, verse a day keeps the devil away. It doesn't mean you're never gonna have a problem. It just means if we're walking with the Lord, if we're abiding in Christ, there's Nothing is going to come into our life that doesn't filter through the permissive hand of God. There's personal peace. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. The, the Bible says to renew our minds because the battle is in our minds. But if we don't have truth, we can't ever renew our minds. And listen, we think the battle's in our circumstances. It's not. The battle is in our minds because we can overcome our circumstances if we're thinking right. If we think right, we'll live right. If we think differently, we'll live differently. But this can't happen apart from the sanctifying power of the truth of the word of God. It gives us a proper perspective on difficult times. One of my favorite psalms is the 73rd Psalm, and it was written by Asaph, the worship leader, not, not King David. And basically, he's just being really raw and honest in it. He's talking about how it seems like that the wicked get ahead and the righteous struggle, and he's actually thinking about giving up on his faith because of that. But then he says in verse 16 and 17, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood therein. In other words, he said, when I came into the presence of God, God, then I got the right perspective on the difficult times that we were going through. And then ultimately, there's the production of spiritual fruit. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him brings forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And Jesus also says in that passage that when we bring forth spiritual fruit, it shows that we're disciples of Christ and it glorifies God. So if, if we're gonna glorify God, we have to produce spiritual fruit. But if we're gonna produce spiritual fruit, we're gonna have to abide in Jesus. But how are we gonna abide in Jesus if we're not actually spending time with him, starting the day with him? Because abiding it's not just, hey, I did a five-minute devotion this morning. It's talking about just ongoing, living with an awareness of his presence, living connected to him, walking in the spirit. But that's not going to happen apart from time with him. I mean, I talk a lot about first thing in the morning and, you know, you spend time with God whenever you want to. But it is just, it's a fact. If you read uh, Christian biographies, 
And even just take it outside the Christian realm. If if you look at research on people who are highly successful in life, you find that one of the absolute common denominators is most of them have a set and a planned and a consistent morning routine that they use to prepare themselves for their day before they go to work, that kind of thing. And I'm just saying as a Christian, Jesus ought to be a part of that. And so that leads to uh, the last of these truths, and that is we probably ought to talk about, you know, what are some means of practicing spiritual disciplines? I mean, well, I mean, what are we actually talking about? And, of course, anything that works for you, uh, you know, you can do it. Some people connect it with God in different ways. Some people, nature is like a big thing. For me, I could care less about that. You know, some people like to journal. I have trouble being consistent with that. But I, I think some of the, the givens, some of the biblical basics would just be Bible intake, reading, studying, meditating on Scripture, listening to it, um, listening to it taught, getting truth in us, prayer, personal worship, praise, thanksgiving, you know, music, singing, you know, you can sing unto the Lord. I mean, for some of us like me, it's better when we do it alone because the Lord's the only one who enjoys it. But uh, I mean, that can that can be part of how we connect with God, uh, confessing sin has to be a part of it, I think, because, you know, sometimes that's where if you feel like there's a distance between you and God, one of the questions I ask, is there unconfessed sin in my life? Is there a broken relationship in my life? Someone I need to forgive, someone I need to make right with somebody else. I'm not saying that's what it always is, but sometimes that's it, you know, and there's a great promise. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, you know, Romans 6, of considering ourselves to be dead to sin, alive in Christ, and daily surrendering surrendering to, to him. There's, you know, reminding ourselves of who we are in Christ. There's preaching the gospel to ourselves. But just whatever helps us to connect with God, get his truth in us, uh, helps us to be filled with the spirit, to be focused on him, to, uh, you know, to set our minds on the things of God, to remind ourselves of who Jesus is and what he's done for us and who we are in him and how blessed uh, that we are. And of course, you know, don't forget that um, you know, that's the foundation. But then there's also living it out, you know, obedience, service, sharing. Your I mean, there's external spiritual disciplines, active spiritual disciplines as well. Billy Graham used to say, it's kind of like a sponge. You know, if a sponge at some point gets saturated, can't hold any more water, and unless you wring it out, it starts souring. And, and, and that's really kind of, as Christians, we take in truth and then it gets wrung out through, uh, through service and through obedience and through, you know, ministry and through evangelism and those kind of things. And what, it, what he said was, you know, if, if all we do is come to church or maybe read the Bible or something like that, but we don't do anything with it, we're like a sponge. We sit, we soak, and we sour. He's saying, go do something with it. Live it out. Now, Something I just encourage you with is like, because I'm, I'm hitting this quickly. Uh, this, there's a link to these things in your notes if some of you would find this helpful, but it's on something called Trained Up. But uh, we have some videos on there. That's a video version of our spiritual maturity class. If you want to dig into this some more, if you want to learn more about how to study the Bible for yourself, we, we did a, a seminar on that a few years ago and we, and we videoed it. And so that's in there. The links are there if you'd like to check that out. But I, I want to close with two questions. And, and, and the first question is, are you trusting in Jesus alone for your salvation? 
Or are you relying on outward stuff? Are you thinking you can be good enough or, or do enough or if you're spiritual enough or if you're disciplined enough or if you, uh, you know, go to church enough or, or if you do enough uh, of, of these uh, disciplines that then you're going to be good with God. And so at the root of this, and, and this is why, you know, I spent some time on this. I want to ground this and it's about Jesus. And we can't earn our way to him. We can't add to what he's done or we miss out on it. It's not faith plus works. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Are you trusting in him alone? Are you relying on his finished work on the cross to forgive you of your sins, his glorious resurrection to give you new life? Are you trusting in Jesus? Are you trying to earn it yourself? And so I just encourage you, if you're not sure about that, to wrestle with that question. Because the reality is, it's all by grace. And, and God wants us to give up on our self-righteousness, our self-effort, and to simply admit that we're sinners, admit that we're nothing we can, there's nothing we can do to save ourselves, to trust in Jesus, the Son of God, his death, burial, and resurrection, and, and to just come to him Surrender to him, trust him, receive him into our lives. And so if, if God's speaking to you that that's what you need to do today, I, I'd encourage you to tune out the last few minutes of this message. Uh, what I'm saying is I talk to Christians to finish this up. I'd encourage you to talk to the Lord, to call on his name, to ask him to forgive you. If you're online, you got questions about that, you know, go in the comment section, the chat section, let our host know you'd like to talk to somebody about that. If you're here and you got questions, talk to me or somebody you know afterwards. And so that can get clarified, that can get settled for you. But second, here's the other question I want to ask. If you're a Christian, are you disciplining yourself for the purpose of godliness? Are you being intentional about it? Are you pursuing the Lord? Are you just kind of hoping it happens? And to review, why should we discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness? There's obedience. It's to become like Jesus. It's for the spiritual benefits. But ultimately, it's to honor Jesus. And that's where I want to end. And, and, and I want to I share a principle with you in closing that I call the principle of the first. And it's an important principle in Scripture. Colossians 1.18 speaks of, of Jesus and of him having the preeminence in all things. That means to have the first place in all things. In, um, in, in Malachi chapter 1, starting in verse 6, it says this. It says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts, to you priests who despise my name? Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? And here's the answer. He said, you offer defiled food on my altar. But say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the, of the Lord is contemptible, 
And, and so uh, here's what they were doing. You know, they were supposed to offer up the first and the best, a perfect, unblemished, spotless lamb as a sacrifice, as a picture of Jesus, the sinless lamb of God who would pay for the sins of the world. But what they were doing is they were like, okay, we're gonna kill it anyway, so why give a perfect sacrifice? Let's just, we'll take the best and we'll eat it and we'll just sacrifice the leftovers. Because look at what the next verse says. It says, when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably? Says the Lord of hosts. And so the idea of what he's saying is, you know, what makes it evil? It makes it evil because they were giving God their leftovers instead of their first and their best. And he's like, take it to your governor. What's the governor going to say about it? Would you do that to the governor? I mean, think about it. If the president decided to come over to your house, even if you didn't like the president, you're going to clean the house. You're going to cook your best meal. You're going, to, you're going to be calling your friends to help you come get everything. You're going to do your best. Why? Because it's the president. What do we think about God? Because what we give to God actually says what we think about him. Look at what he says at the end of this passage. I'm going to skip ahead just for time's sake. But he says in, in verse 13, you say, uh, or verse 12, he says, you profane it and that you say the table of the Lord is defiled and its fruit, its food is contemptible. It's like we're tired of all these bloody sacrifices and all these kind of things. They say, oh, what a weariness. And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? He says, but cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished, for I am a great king. King says the Lord of hosts. In other words, what God is saying to them, I'm a great king. Stop giving me your leftovers. Take it to your governor. See how that goes. You give me your first and your best or I don't want it. It's the principle of the first. Well, specifically, what does this look like in scripture? It means God's kingdom as our top priority, Jesus said, Matthew 6, seek first, the principle of the first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these other things will be added unto you. It means to put Jesus, put the kingdom of God first in our lives. It means Jesus as our first love. In Revelation 2, 4, he told the church there that he had it against them, that they had left their first love. Uh, it means giving God the first and the best of our week in worship. You know, Hebrews 10, uh, 25 tells us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Why do we worship on Sunday morning? Uh, you know, why not keep the Sabbath on Saturday like the Jews did? Why is that the only commandment and not, uh, 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 only one of the Ten Commandments not repeated in the New Testament? Well, there's probably a few reasons, but at least two are this. Sunday's the Lord's day because Jesus rose from the dead. But on, by worshiping on Sunday morning, we're giving him the first and the best of our week. That's why I say it shouldn't be a coin flip every week whether or not we decide are we giving him our first and our best, are we giving him our leftovers. It means giving him first place in our day. 
In Mark 135, well, in Mark chapter one, it's an amazing chapter. Jesus, the day before, has had this crazy day. The crowds are pulling at him. He's doing miracles. It's been a long, exhausting day. But the next morning, the disciples can't find him. Why? Because it says, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. If that's how Jesus, the Son of God, needed to start his day, you think we might need to? Give God our first and the best of our day and then give God the first and the best of our financial blessings. Proverbs 3, 9 says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. You know, sometimes Christians debate about tithing or grace giving, those kind of things. True life, we think those are secondary issues. This is the real issue. Are we giving our first fruits or are we giving our leftovers? Because if we're giving our first fruits, all that other stuff will get taken care of. Give God the first and the best of our finances. You say, I can't afford to give right now. You don't know my finances. Well, give a quarter of a percent if it's a sacrifice for you. Just give it as your first and your best and, and work towards growing into that. Give God the first and the best. Think of it this way. Um, my wife's a great cook. And one of the best dishes she makes uh, is her strawberry cake. And, um, well, the Arwoods have had it before. So, so Rusty, if, if I showed up, if I, if I called you one day and said, uh, you know, we would just really appreciate you guys. You're such good friends. Robin's made you a strawberry cake. She wants me to bring it over. Would that be okay? What would you say? I'd say, come on over today. <laughs> okay. And so you, you would feel appreciated if brought one of Robin's strawberry cakes. How about though I showed up at your door and um, just, uh, and, and I you know, had a pan in my hand and uh, I said, Rusty, we just want you guys to know how highly we regard you, how much we appreciate you. And so we have the strawberry cake and you know, Robin made it and we ate all of it, but there's some crumbs here and we want you to have them. Would you feel like you were held in high regard? My point is, are we giving God the cake? We've given him the crumbs. Does Jesus have first place in our lives or is he getting our leftovers? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes if we could. Return. Not lip service, not religion, but just coming to him and saying, Lord, take me. Lord, I want to know you. Lord, you're worthy. I want to give my life to you. I want you to forgive me. Call on the name of Jesus right now. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Ask him to come into your life to save you, to be your Lord, to take control of you. If you do that in faith, he'll hear and answer. So I just encourage you here online, call on his name. If you need somebody to explain that to you, Come see me or reach out to us in some way. You can text TLC Decision to 94000. If you're a Christian, are you disciplining yourself for the purpose of godliness? Or is there, does Jesus have first place in your life? I mean, I don't think any of us can say that he always does in every part of our lives. That's something I think that's probably a constant area of repentance. Is he our first love? And listen, this isn't about mustering up the willpower to do this. It's about seeing who he is and responding to that. Jesus, you are a great king. You are worthy 
of our lives, of our all. You're worthy of first place. You are the preeminent one, the perfect one, the ultimate one. Lord, forgive me, forgive us for when we give you leftovers. Lord, help us to give you the first and the best of our lives because you're worthy. Lord, I ask that your spirit would enable and empower us to do that. Pray that your spirit would draw people into a relationship with you. Lord, we praise your great name, your glorious name, your wonderful name, your saving name, the name above all names. Lord, we thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy, your acceptance, your forgiveness. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you that it not only saves, but it sanctifies. So I pray that you would transform us more and more into your image transform our lives and our relationships and just every part of us that we would honor you and that people could see you in us because you are worthy. So we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Listen, we're going to close with a little video clip. Uh, Zach Milliken uh, last week.